Well, good morning, Grace. It's great to be here. Let me tell you a great story about courage and humility and perseverance, the life of Nehemiah. First, let me tell you a story about this somewhat lavish church right in the middle of England in the countryside there. It was built years ago in the 1600s, and it was financed entirely by Sir Robert Shirley. While Robert Shirley was having this church built, Oliver Cromwell, who was the political leader at the time, demanded that he not do that, that rather he would use those same funds and build a ship for their navy. Well, Shirley would have nothing to do with that. And as a result of that and some other crimes against Oliver Cromwell, he was imprisoned in the famous London Tower where he died at an early age of 27. The church was finished and they put this plaque on the outside of it. In the year 19 or in the year 1653, when all things sacred were throughout ye nation either demolished or profaned, Sir Robert Shirley, a baronet, did found this church whose singular praise it is to have done the best of things in the worst of times and hope them in the most calamitous. The calamitous times as they were then in the Civil War period of, of England, they are somewhat today. When we look around us, we can see the media, the people in politics, business leaders, religious leaders. The, the sacred things are, have become profane as men and women drunk on power or, or arrogance They've ruined those things. And, and, and we live in these times and we can't, trust very, we can't trust very many people at all. We're like, how are we supposed to live? How should we then live? And that brings us to our story. You know, as we're going through the Bible together, we're trying to learn how God works as he's bringing his kingdom to all nations, how he brings salvation into the hearts of every heart that's open to him. I don't know about you, but as we're reading through and personally, as we're studying through, we get to the book of Nehemiah. It's just like the weeks before. It's like, this is just what we need right now. Things haven't changed too much. This week, we're going to look at how to follow God in calamitous times like this. Where we left off when uh, Ray was teaching last week in the series that brought us to that point, I think we're on week 23 now, we find that Persia has defeated Babylon and uh, is allowing uh, Israel to return to Jerusalem. And they've been in exile for quite some time, and when they get to Jerusalem, they see that the city is in rubbles. And the, politically speaking, it is a difficult time. Economically, it would be like our Great Depression. Religiously, they're dead. And so we, what we see here are three waves of men leading people back to Jerusalem. And the first one was Zerubbabel. And he comes back and he helps rebuild the temple and reinstitutes a lot of religious uh, traditions. Meanwhile, Esther is the queen back in Persia. And then we see the second return, taking 17, year, 17 years later, we see that Ezra comes as a priest. And he helps rebuild the morale and the spiritual lives of the people. And then today we look at the third return in 444, Nehemiah comes back with a massive task force to rebuild the city, the gates, the walls, and I would say the morale and the spiritual lives of people as well. And he has to rebuild uh, for protection. And he does that. In just two months, he finishes those walls and gives people pride in their country again. Nehemiah and Ezra working together rebuild Jerusalem. 
and Israel. Or it could be said like this. In the year 444 B.C., when all things sacred were throughout ye nation either demolished or profaned, Ezra and Nehemiah did refound Jerusalem, whose singular praise it is to have done the best of things in the worst of times and hope them in the most calamitous. Today, I want us to look at this saint, Nehemiah. We have so much to learn from him as he's just playing his part. He's just playing his part and being part of God's will and what he's arranged in good works for Nehemiah to do in Christ. And the reason I, I love studying Nehemiah especially is for a couple of reasons. One is it's, he's just so secular. He's, he's just a regular guy. You know, here at Grace, if you're relatively new here, you, you'll hear us say this, uh, I'm just the pastor, but you're the ministers, right? The phrase is, I'm just the pastor, you're the ministers. And what we mean by that is the, the, the ministry is for the people, the regular people doing regular jobs. And, and that's how it is in the Bible, throughout the Bible. And here's an Old Testament saint, and he's not a pastor, he's not a priest, he's not a judge even. What he is, is he's a government, government worker, you know, and then, and then he becomes a general contractor for the construction of the wall. He ultimately becomes the governor of Jerusalem, just a, a politician, He's just like one of us is the point. And he's, what he's going to do here is, is he's, the, the uniqueness of Nehemiah is this, is he has such a healthy soul, and that's his superpower. And we can have that superpower. But, but Nehemiah just, he, he just, we say a disciple is a person who becomes like Christ in all of life. Nehemiah becomes like Christ in all of life in his workplace, and we're going to see that work out. So anyway, I, that's one of the reasons I, I enjoy studying this man, and I, and I think we have a lot to learn from him. Another, another reason is this, that he has an amazing understanding of the practice of faith and works, faith and works. It's not one or the other, it's both. And so you're going to see him consistently with this pattern of, we'd better pray, we'd better get to work. We'd better pray, we'd better get to work. There's a spiritual dynamic to this, and there is a secular dynamic to this. There's a spiritual element, there's a physical element. We'd better pray, and we'd better get to work. And he's going to teach us how to do that as we go through the story. I don't have time to study very much of it today because we're just going to survey his life. And what I'd like to do is focus on this, the attributes of this saint, Nehemiah. We're going to look at three attributes of Nehemiah that you and I can have, part of his superpower. It's the idea that he is courageous, that he's humble, and boy, he perseveres under difficult times. And he's doing all of those, practicing faith and works, faith and works. The context of this, as I mentioned before, when you open the book of Nehemiah, you see this as the, the, the feel of what's going on. The first words are finding out that the, the capital city of Jerusalem, the once stronghold for the Middle East, the showplace of the Middle East, certainly the religious center of, of the Israelis and the Jewish faith is now in complete despair. And because the walls are down, that's what the, the story focuses on, on this return, is they're vulnerable. They're exposed to any marauders and any bad group of tribal people. They come in and they can rout people. And, and more than that, okay, because it's in the ancient Near East and it's, a, you know, it's an honor-based system. And, and the idea is that they're vulnerable but also ashamed. They're embarrassed. They, they've been humiliated. There's, there's no national soul that's left. 
because these walls and the gates have been destroyed. And then we find out about Nehemiah. Enter Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes. The king of Persia, Artaxerxes, cupbearer means that he's the most trusted man in the kingdom. He's the, the wine taste, taster. He's the man who makes sure the king's food is not poisoned. And so he can't be bought. He can't be extorted. He's the man that Artaxerxes trusts with his very life, literally. And Nehemiah receives word from a brother that things are not good. Things are not good back in Jerusalem. This is courage. This is courage, as just a government worker could express it. Here's the passage. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 says, And then they said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province, but are in great trouble and disgrace. No honor in their life. And, and the wall of Jerusalem has been broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. This is what courage looks like. The first impression you are supposed to grasp when you meet this man, Nehemiah, in this book is to say he is courageous. He hears these words. He's never been to Jerusalem, quite probably. His whole life has been in, in Susa, the capital of Persia, but he is attached to this people. He is Jewish thoroughly, and he, here's how he responds. In his courage, he prays. Look at the grief he expresses. Better pray. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For days I mourned and fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. You want to see, like, the mind, inside the mind of a godly man and how he prays? You can say a lot. You can tell a lot about a man's soul by how he prays. Here's just a couple sentences. Please, chapter 1, read it when we're done here about this prayer. I'll just read a few sentences from that. He goes, oh, Yahweh, calls him by his formal name, oh, Yahweh, God in heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that he's praying before you. I'm praying this before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He keeps attaching this, this possessive pronoun. These are your people. These are kind of your problems. These are like your issues, Lord. I, I, my heart is connected to your heart. That's what his prayer looks like. And that's the spiritual dynamic here. Better pray. And then it's like better get to work. And, and how does he express his courage? How does he show himself courageous in this storyline? Well, here, again, going back to him being the cupbearer of the king, he's the most trusted person there. He reports daily to the king, maybe every meal, that would make sense. And, but this is King Artaxerxes, mind you. Okay, he's a chip off the old block, Xerxes. He's crazy with power and exceptionally volatile. And there's one rule around the palace when you're with Artaxerxes, do not make him mad. And so employees, just government workers, when they show up, they can't be like in a bad mood. They can't be sad or they'll be killed, literally killed. And so <laughs> he's been praying for three months and, and, and he's decided to be courageous by bringing his personal life to work with him. This is what the passage says. I'll just read it. It's better that way. When the, wine was, when the wine was brought to him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. And I had not been sad in his presence before. His entire career, he's never seen me sad because it'll kill you. It'll get you killed. And so the king asked, why does your face look so like, like it is right now? Why, and you're not even ill. This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. 
And so the next verse says, look what it says. It's up on the screen. I, I was very much afraid. Yep, because it could get me killed. But I said to the king, this is courage. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the, when the city where my fathers were, are buried lies in ruin and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what, do you, what is it that you want? I better pray. And he does. He says, and so I prayed to God in heaven. <laughs> okay, here it goes. I better pray and I better get to work. And so the next thing he tells the king is this act of courage. And so I answered the king and I said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant be found in favor before you, send me to Judah, to my father's tombs, that I might rebuild it. Do you see what, do you see what, this is a bold ask. Nehemiah has been praying for three months. You can do, you can look in the details. He's been praying for three months. Come on, Yahweh, these are your people. Yahweh, this is your city. Yahweh, send help. Yahweh, send someone. Send someone. Oh, you mean me. <laughs> You did send someone, and that someone is me. And so Nehemiah realizes he's, he's, he's in, in a place for such a time as this, and this during these calamitous times. And he's, send me, Lord, send me. But here's Yahweh. You got to change the heart of this crazy king. Because he'll, I mean, he can't, he can't live without me, and he's, he's going to kill me if he sees me sad. And God says, okay. <laughs> I can do that. And what are the results of a person living courageously with faith and works? A God thing happens. That's what happens. Here's, here's the verse itself. And the king granted me what I asked. Why is that? For the good hand of my God was upon me. All of that prayer up ahead of time going, I, I need to find favor in the king's eyes. I need to find favor in the king's eyes. Your God changed his heart. And God says, yeah, I got, I got this. And so... Nehemiah asks to be dismissed and so he can rebuild the city. And the king says, well, okay, what if I sent uh, a division of the cavalry with you just to make sure you're safe? And it's a 900-mile trip. And then why don't you go by my forest on the way and you can have anything you want. Here's my credit card. Swipe it anytime you need. You're going to need to build gates and the, and, and the cross beam. And you know what? Take enough lumber to build your own house. Okay? Uh, okay. It's a God thing. That's what happens. God wants us to pray for courageous things. God wants us to do courageous things. It's faith. It's work in regular life. Next kind of attribute I want us to look at is humility. And he expresses his humility here as just the governor of Jerusalem. As the, as the walls are being built, he's looking out at the morale of the people, and they are still in great subjugation. Their, their souls are beaten down. And the reason the people are broken is they're in the circumstance of what we could kind of relate to, at least historically, to our Great Depression. People were in so much financial debt that they couldn't lift their heads. And, and, and their poverty and their debt level was the point where they were selling their children to get even on the, in that debt. And what was most tragic about all of this is that it is, it is within the family of God. These guys are, with, are indebted to each other, other Jews. That's, it's brother against brother. It's a divided city. It's a divided nation. And, and, and these calamitous times are financial in this case. And this is what happens when Nehemiah enters that with humility. 
He's going to bring in works and faith. And here's what he does. He's the governor, right? He's the governor of Jerusalem, and he brings financial justice to these people. He does this in two ways. One, first thing he does is he requires, he confronts all the lenders, and he does so with the fear of Yahweh, with the fear of God. He's, going to say, he's saying, you're going to answer to the way you're doing this business, and you need to get right. He says, I'm going to give you two choices. You can either zero out the interest rate that, that is requiring these men and women to pay you back, or you can cancel the debt altogether. But we, got, we cannot do this any longer. And they submit to him. The second thing he does, this is humility, is he has an extravagant salary and food allowance from King Artaxerxes himself. And he says this, I won't take it. As a matter of fact, I'll even share it. Everybody eats at my table. We're going to get that food allowance, and we're going to all enjoy it together. Years ago, a friend of mine described, defined humility to me as having the right, having the right to have something and forfeiting that right. Surrendering the right for, in this case, his wealth. He has a right to that wealth, but he shares it. Sometimes humility is, I have the right to be right. <laughs> you know, I'm right here. But humility says, you know what, I, it does, yeah, it's just a, it's a belief, it's not a strong one, let's just let this go so we can be friends. Humility is surrendering your, sometimes your values for the sake of something greater, like a friendship or a loved one. That's how he expresses his humility. He has a right and he lets them go. That was the work. Where's the faith part, right? Faith and works, better get to work. What about the better pray part? Well. I don't know if you've ever practiced righteousness or just trying to be humble, but when that happens, at least in my life, I wonder, does it matter? It can be very costly to live a surrendered life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are times where you maybe could take a note of instruction from Nehemiah because sometimes when that happens and you have your doubts, is it worth it? Maybe you just better pray, better pray. And here's what he prays. Dear God, he says, remember me with favor, oh my God, for all that I have done for these people. <laughs> can we pray that? Can we, can we find ourselves when we're living, you know, in a way where we're extravagantly giving towards God causes or we're serving in ways that are sacrificial? Can we kind of find ourselves in a little bit of a pity party looking up at God saying, hey, 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 are you looking at how humble I am? <laughs> I know it's kind of funny. Are you looking how generous I am? And God says, yeah, I'm, yeah, I got that. Okay, okay. See, that, that helps satisfy your need to be acknowledged, I guess. There's a judgment at the end, Matt. We're gonna, we're gonna make all this work out. Good, good for you. All right, there it is. That's what he does. That's what humility looks like. And God things happen when you have humility with faith and works. And the people's lives were restored financially. So we have courage, we have humility expressing itself in faith and works. Now the last part is perseverance. This is in the context of just being a general contractor. Since the very moment uh, Nehemiah enters Jerusalem, he is in, in a fierce contest with the evildoers all around him. As a matter of fact, they're like combining their assets just to thwart him. And it is constant and it is persistent and it is con continually increasing this threat against him, even to the point where it's against his life multiple times. His life is threatened. He's attacked in some way, one form or another, seven times in total. 
Here's an example. Okay, and watch, by the way, when, I, when we look at this, watch how rapid fire faith and works. Better pray, better get to work happens here. Here's the context of it. And then when Sanballat, Tobiah, and, and the Arabs and the Ammonites, see, they're combining their sources here, and the men of Ashdod heard of the repairs of Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry and they plotted against, they plotted together to come against and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble uh, uh, against us. And so this is perseverance now. Better pray, then you better get to work. Watch how, how, how fast it happens. Verse 9 of chapter 4. But we prayed to our God, and then here's the work, and then we, guard, and we posted guards uh, day and night to meet this threat. And then later on, watch this. Here's the spiritual, and then there's the physical. After I looked things over and I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and all the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and he's awesome. Remember the spiritual part of this. And then the next the rest of the verse, and fight for your brothers and for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Yeah, okay. Look how great God is. Now pick up your weapons. Let's go. And what happens when a person is persevering with faith and works? Better pray, better get things done. Great things happen. God things happen. And this wall is built. This wall is built. The next verse says, and when, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had inspired it, uh, had, uh, I'm sorry, and, and God had frustrated it, and that we were, and, and we were all returning to the wall, each of its own, each of us going to its own work. <laughs> I ran out of toner this morning. I can't read these notes. Literally, I ran out of toner. So anyway, back to the story. It en- here's how it ends. Here's how it ends. This is what it looks like when someone is courageous and humble and perseveres over time with faith and works. This is what it looks like. Six, chapter 15, uh, chapter six, verse 15. And the wall was completed in 52 days. That, my friends, is a God thing. And everyone knew it was a God thing. Look at verse 16. And, and, and when all of our enemies heard about this and and all the surrounding nations were afraid, and they, and they, they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Everyone knew this, that Nehemiah was not just a government worker, and he was no mere, I don't know, general contractor. He wasn't an ordinary governor, politician type guy. This guy was special. And you know why he was special? Because his superpower was his thriving spiritual life. Everyone knew what happened there was what happens when somebody understands how to use faith and works together. That's what they all learned. 52 days, they built a a wall all around the city that's four and a half miles long. You know, and, and like friends, it's still there today. There are sections of this wall that are there today, 2,500 years later. I mean, when Will and I go to Israel, we we usually, when we're in Jerusalem, we'll figure out a way to say this phrase, I'll meet you at Nehemiah's wall. And you know why we say that? Because it's fun. You get chills up your back because it's literally Nehemiah's wall and you get to visit what was built there. They didn't build just a wall, my friends. That's not what happened. They rebuilt the morale of these human souls. They, they rebuilt the self-image of all the followers of Yahweh. They gave them pride again. They rebuilt the reputation of Yahweh. That's the power of an ordinary guy 
with attributes of courage and humility and perseverance, working and living by faith. How do we do that? How can we have this superpower, these attributes in our lives? How do we get that soul health? I just want a couple applications very quickly. I just wanted to bring ways that this could work in our lives. You can see throughout the Bible, Old New Testament, okay, whether it's Moses, cursings and blessings, it's Jesus, or it's the, uh, the St. Paul, the apostle in the Newer Testament. At least from a physical standpoint, here's what, here's what you read in the Bible about how to have these healthy souls. Stop doing bad. Start doing good. Honestly, I mean, throughout the book of Proverbs, but also all the writings of the Testaments and the letters, stop doing bad stuff, start doing good stuff. And spiritual things can happen in your life. Stop doing bad stuff. Here's what something that's going on in my life. Just this book I stumbled across as, as listening to a podcast, it's called Indistractable. I love this book. I'm going to recommend this book, but also I like, I, there's a lot of things in this book I don't like, like all the books that we recommend. There's a lot of things that you're going to find problems with, but some of his, his anthropology is not what I would agree with. But listen, here's what I've learned from this, his, his experience here. He's the author of the book called Hooked. And in that book, he's trying to show everyone how like the gaming programs and, and, and internet applications that you have, they're, they're designed to make you addicted to them. And he just wanted to come out and say, here's how it works. This is why you're addicted. That's why the book is called Hooked. But in this book, Indistractable, I love the subtitle, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Indistractable, he says, okay, look, since we know everything we learned in Hooked about how to get addicted to something, why don't we use those same principles of behaviorism, okay, and use them to get not addicted to some things and to get addicted to good things. He's part of the, the, the Bible app that, that helps you get addicted to Bible reading. He was, he was part of that conversation. Let's get people addicted to the right things by showing them how to get unaddicted to the wrong things. I, it's been a pretty good book for me to read. I've been listening to it while I do work, and, and it comes with, if you buy it, you get some supplemental material. I highly recommend it. It's, it's based on the idea of whether you're addicted to something chemically like alcohol or, or some kind of painkiller or something, or just addicted to distractions. You know, it, it says, okay, wait, here's how to find those things out. And then now let's use those same techniques that they were using on you for you. Let's you get you addicted to the right things. Look, I honestly, just during this time, I'm not doing bad things. I'm doing dumb things. You know, I, you know, good is the enemy of great. And I just keep doing good things. And I'm I'm wasting some time, all that stuff on the internet. I'm searching every, I think I've been to every single legitimate internet website. Yep, I'm done, but I go back. So if that sounds like something that you could use, especially during these calamitous times, I'd recommend parts of that book, how to stop doing bad, how to start doing good. I recommended this a couple weeks ago, but I'd recommend it again. We did a series in 2011 called Go Vertical. Highly recommend it. I know I'm wearing just really baggy clothes, but besides, if you can get past the appearance, it was, it was like, how do we become better at praying together? How do we become better at fasting? How do we begin better at serving? The disciplines of the faith, studying the Bibles so that we could show ourselves approved, start doing good things. I would suggest you find a buddy 
whether it's in your house or across the country, and just go through the series together and say, okay, let's take on that particular discipline this week. Let's see if we can get better at these things. Let's see if we can be practicing maybe the disciplines that Nehemiah did. These, these, these acts of righteousness, this soul health that was his superpower. Come on, let's do this. Faith and works, courage, humility, perseverance. Nehemiah is an Old Testament saint that is an example for all of us, and he serves us to give us a message of how we could live that way as well. I have a modern hero, a friend of mine, that he has a healthy soul too, and that's his superpower. And he's courageous, and he's humble, and he's been persevering for some time now. He's my friend Bruce. And in 2017, Bruce was diagnosed with some kind of damage to his trigeminal nerve. Now, before painkillers, damage to the trigeminal nerve was, had the highest suicide rate of, compared to any other disease because it is that painful. And after a lot of tests and studies they, and MRIs, they went in and he had some brain surgery to move that trigeminal ner nerve off of something that it was touching. And after all of that, it was a misdiagnosis. It wasn't even a needed surgery. So, spends 2018 getting passed from doctor to doctor, MRI, another MRI, another spinal tap, still another spinal tap. Let's pass this guy around. And then finally, honestly, just because a friend recommended it, he ended up in Houston at MD Anderson, and that's when they found out what the problem was. He had some skin cancer on his face, and that cancer rooted into that trigeminal nerve. And now, like some kind of terrible science fiction movie, that cancer was crawling its way in digesting and terrorizing that nerve as it was working both towards his brain and into his skull. And so it means all those things. We'd have to stop this cancer in this nerve. And so he spends three weeks being strapped to a gurney with a suffocating face mask to hold his face still so they could radiate that nerve, all the while giving him unhealthy doses of chemotherapy. That takes courage and perseverance. And good things happen. After having his face, have his face reconstructed and the tests come back and it's his like, you know what? I think we got this thing. I think at least for the next six months and the next six months and the next six months, that's not going to be a problem. Okay, great. March 2020, March 2020. Remember that month? Bruce finds two more cancer blemishes on his face. One is a squamish and one is a basal and he calls his dermatologist and says, you need to see me, this is a serious thing. And they say, March 2020, I'm sorry, cancer screenings are non-essential. And Bruce insisted to talk to who's ever in charge and kept calling and kept calling and said, I want you to have my file on your desk and looking at it. Now tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about when I'm telling you I have these two skin lesions and they're cancerous. And the man said, I'll see you this afternoon. And he brings him in, he sits him down, and he says, this one, we're taking this one right now. And he leaves, Bruce leaves with 34 stitches in his face. And he says, that other one, that other one's that Squamish thing, we're going to go into that, but I want it to be done in the next two days, in the next two days. And so they do. 
five major surgeries, six-day surgeries, all those tests and MRIs and spinal taps later, he's finding himself wrapped up in gauze, and he just wants to take a shower. His face is wrapped up. And he's, I just, like, I want to wash this away. I just want it to be gone. And he sits down, and he, and he just says to God, he just says, I'm done. I'm done. And then he says this. Bruce said, he heard not a voice. It was more like, I would say, a song. It was a mood. It was the most loving aura of, of communication he's ever had. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, when angels speak, they don't use air, they use light. Maybe of something like, it was a song that said, Bruce, have I given you too much? In love, in profound love. And Bruce just laughed and said, no, no, you haven't given me too much. And then God comes back for a second verse of that same song, saturated in love, and I never will. Bruce said, at that moment, sitting down at one time, feeling sorry for himself, and now he said, the words were, it electrified me. It renewed me. It was all good. Next day, uh, he and his wife, Chris, were on the phone with Jim, one of the surgeons. It started the journey in 2017 with him, and Jim's wife were on the phone, and they're just kind of having a FaceTime back and forth. And... <laughs> And, and in, this, in this conversation, Surgeon Jim says to Bruce, he says, Bruce, look, I know you love the Lord. You do. And I know the Lord loves you. And I think he's taking you home, brother. But one piece at a time. <laughs> it's like he's taking you home one body part at a time. Bruce all wrapped up in all this stuff. And the, both wives like cringe. Like, oh, that doesn't sound very like side bed, you know, hospital nice talk from a doctor, Bruce and Jim burst out laughing. And here's why. Because if you have courage and humility and perseverance, applying work to your faith, then the things that you were once terrified about, you now laugh at. Those things that sifted you can be used to rebuild you. It's the size of God and the love of God in your life. I think that lesson is for us. I, really, I believe that to be true. Hey, Grace, has God given us more than we can handle? Did you hear that in that love? Has God given us more than we could handle? No. He never will. And if we choose to live with the vision of a giant, beautiful Yahweh, and we live that faith out, we will thrive. We will thrive. And this is what will be written on the plaque. In the year 2020, when all things sacred were throughout ye nation, either demolished or profaned, the people of Grace Covenant Church did the best of things in the worst of times, and hope them in the most calamitous. 
Would you join me in prayer, Grace? Oh, Yahweh, God of heaven, you are a great and awesome God. You keep your covenant of love with those who love you and are called according to your commandments. Let your ear be attentive to us. Let your eyes watch and see. Let, let you see the prayers of your servants praying before you day and night that you would be glorified, that the people of grace would rise up and play their part, acting out their faith with works. I confess the sins of this country, Lord. <laughs> they mock you, including this city, including this church that we've committed against you. We have acted wickedly towards each other and towards you. We have not obeyed your command, your decrees, and your laws. Lord, we'd like to be a church that you enjoy. Lord, I'd ask that you would cause grace to become everything you'd ever meant her to be, one person at a time. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would convict ours of how we might stop doing bad things. We would start doing good things. You would show us what happens when we release our lives entirely to you and want to live a life of courage and humility, persevering to the very end. Let us be that for your joy and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, that's a good lesson from Nehemiah, huh? Yeah, it's good stuff. It's great for you to join us today, and I cannot wait to see you guys again. Thanks again, Grace. See you next soon.